This is installment number one of Down the Hatch, and today's topic is called Everybody's Doing It, but before we talk about that, let's introduce ourselves. So, Alicia, tell them who you are. So, uh, my name is Alicia Vos, and I am a current doctoral student here at the University of Florida, working under Dr. Ianessa Humbert. And a little bit of my background is that I graduated with my master's in speech pathology back in 2010 from George Washington University. And after that, I spent the last five years working in acute inpatient care at Johns Hopkins Hospital. So mostly working with patients that are pretty critically ill in the intensive care unit, working with trauma patients, surgical patients, um, neurological disease, pulmonary, you name it. And after practicing as a clinician for that five-year span, I decided to uh, spend a year working with Ianessa in the Swallowing Neurophysiology Lab at Hopkins, where I got a unique opportunity to do a hand in research and also practice clinically, and then I decided to sell my soul to research and come to <laughs> Florida and join the dark side, and I could not be happier. Wonderful. Well, I'm certainly glad that you decided to join the dark side, but um, I've been on the dark side for a while now. I didn't practice clinically for a long time before I realized that I definitely needed to do a PhD because I was very confused about whether or not anything we say we're doing is getting done. So I did my um, research primarily in swallowing and I have been studying swallowing since 2003. So, wow, 13 years. That's a serious relationship. That's a serious relationship. I think we're officially hitched, me yeah. and swallowing. That's cool. So, the reason I wanted to do this podcast called Down the Hatch is because there are so many times that Alicia and I, or me and anybody, or Alicia and somebody, is having this conversation about swallowing, and it's a deep conversation, includes our anecdotal experience, what we think we're seeing in our data, what we heard at some conference, and what we read in some paper. And the conversations are rich, the conversations are interesting, and I've always thought, gosh, I learn best when I hear people who are passionate and informed about a topic talk about it. That's mm -hmm. why I tune into NPR, because somebody on there is an, an expert on something, and I learn from hearing them have a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that would be a great tool for learning. It's not the highest level of evidence, but it is one way to hopefully inject a different way of thinking into individuals who treat swallowing. And that's mm -hmm. sort of what our direction is with this. So we decided our topic for installment number one is going to be everybody's doing it. The whole point in everybody's doing it is to discuss the fact that some people feel that they may not need any instrumental evaluation techniques to understand what's happening in oral pharyngeal swallowing. And it's come to our attention because it's been sort of an ongoing conversation in international communities, especially in communities where they don't have instrumental techniques that they can use, as well as um, situations where a clinician is in a hospital and they're less fortunate than others and they cannot find uh, 
that find anyone who will allow them to have fees or mm-hmm. you know they're being told directly you, you can't do fluoro so we're probably going to start out by talking about one end of the continuum which is the folks who have nothing but clinical techniques to understand and diagnose and make recommendations and then move on to the other end of the continuum folks who have ready access to instrumentals So I think one of the things to point out and to really think about as we discuss this is that you mentioned that it's a continuum. And I don't like to think of it as one is better than the other, instrumental versus yeah. bedside evaluation. Yeah. It's that they provide you with different information. And I think as speech pathologists, it's really important to know where our limitations are but also know what we can get from each experience. So mm-hmm. it would be really unfortunate, you know, I would think of a situation where, what if I could just bring every single patient I saw down to fluoroscopy? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? But you imagine you say, okay, you have 10 patients that are being referred for swallowing, and we've already set them up with appointments in fluoro for you. And you bring them down, and you get all of this instrument instrumental Um, information on kinematics and that's great but if you're missing that bedside piece you're missing so much from the picture so like what what do you think they're missing I like that so they go into fluoro Mm -hmm. they don't know anything about the patient Mm -hmm. they don't know what the plan is Mm -hmm. what what's an example of something they could be missing if they go straight to instrumental and skip the clinical eval well I think you're I think one of the things that you really miss is the plan going into fluoro. I think that that's something you really need to think about before taking your patient down to fluoroscopy is what do you think is going on with your patient? Mm-hmm. And what that comes back to is being doing a really good job of probing your patient at the bedside. So mm-hmm. I, an example I think of, and, and this is a real-life situation, I remember you know, at Hopkins we had a unique situation where we'd go through fluctuations. And I would imagine this is very similar at other institutions where sometimes you just have openings in fluoro and it's like Christmas day (laughs) where you could just bring, you see somebody at the bedside and you can bring them down to fluoro that same day. And you go through other periods where you see a patient at the bedside and you know it's gonna be a week before a spot in fluoro opens up. It's really slammed, hospitals, high census. And I would always remember these times where I knew I wasn't going to get my patient down in fluoro, and I'm just being honest, my bedsides were very thorough because I really wanted to gather the most amount of information because when I went down to fluoro, I wanted to get the best bang for my buck. Mm -hmm. Right. So are you saying it's kind of like when you know you're getting that extra bonus in your in your sal in your salary for some reason you're like I'm not even going to ask how much that costs I am just going to buy it because I know the money's coming baby doll exactly. and then if you find your check is late you're like uh yeah let me hold off on that organic um, mm-hmm. se- section over there I'm just going straight to the pesticide section yeah thanks very much exactly yeah um, and so you're so it sounds to me what you're saying is that. While they're both important, people lean more, you lean more heavily to fluoro for that final 
test of what you're going to see. But when you know that you're not going to be able to see it, you have to do everything you can in the clinical situation to try to figure out what's really happening because you're not going to be able to verify. So that suggests to me that some people are using floral as verification based on what they saw Mm -hmm. at the bedside. Yep. Right? Okay. Absolutely. But I do think that if you skimp on your bedside before going down to floral, you miss a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, that's, as a clinician, that's being really honest about the state of affairs and the situations that, that, um, that we're in. And, you know, I'd like to say that every bedside I've ever done in the past five years was a absolutely stellar, flawless, stellar sensory motor testing. Locomit would give you five stars. <laughs> um, but that's not the case, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we're here not to talk about the ideal situation. We're here to talk about the realities right. and the struggles that clinicians face. Right. And, um, so let, there's something you said that I want to go back to. You said they give you different information. Mm -hmm. So a clinical exam is going to give you different information from an instrumental exam, right? And I like that. Absolutely. But what's important to me is while everyone would say, sure, I saw the table with fees, fluoro, and clinical bedside, (laughs) which you can and cannot do. What happens when someone decides that you can get information that belongs in, for instance, the instrumental category from the clinical Experience. Mm-hmm. So, what happens when you don't, where you, when you know what you can get, but you're not okay with it? So, here's an example. Mm-hmm. If you say, "I know that I cannot see epiglottic inversion at a clinical bedside exam- examination, mm-hmm. but I am going to make recommendations based on it," do you feel that that is okay? No. Why not? Because we can't make recommendations on what we don't know. So does that mean that... If I'm following your example correctly. I think, I mean, I think so. Uh, Let's put that in a different example. I don't have stairs in my rehab area to test. You know Mm -hmm. how the rehab stair area has those stairs to nowhere? Stair check, baby. It's just like the stairs and it's just like cliff, right? (laughs) I always wondered about that. But but let's move past that. So there are stairs and they, you know, there are these things to help them go up and down the stairs. But my rehab is not fortunate. We don't have stairs. So let me see them walk on a flat surface and make recommendations about what they can do when they go home. Why would we get upset at a PT who does that mm-hmm. and says, when your, when your mom or dad comes back to the hospital, of course a helicopter has to fly over us now, eh? When your mom and dad has to go, comes back from the hospital, or dad, and they fall down the stairs, or they won't even attempt going up, and you're like, the PT said that they were fine on stairs. They could do stairs. Mm-hmm. And you go back to the report, and there's no information about testing them on stairs. Right. Wouldn't we be livid? Mm-hmm. We would. So, why is it any different when a clinician who investigates swallowing or who exa- manages swallowing talks about the upper esophageal sphincter and what it's doing, but they never saw it. They're talking about residue in the piriforms. They're talking about swallow initiation, which I know is more of a gray area for some people. Mm -hmm. I can tell when a swallow started and whether it was weak or whether it was delayed and that kind of thing. Um, Why is it okay in that domain to do it? Well, if I may play devil's advocate. Play it. Because I've heard this is one of the statements I probably hear most often from speech pathologists. Okay. 
But Ianessa, it's the best we have. Mm. What do you want me to do? It's mm -hmm. the best that we have. We don't have access to instrumental evaluations. So I'm forced to do what I can with what I have. Right. And I would say that it's not the best we have. I'd say it's the best you have mm -hmm. in your clinical setting. And that is likely not your fault. Because if it was in your control, you would, right? Nobody's no one's wheeling like, floros to exactly. the facility and we're saying, no, 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 no I'm good. You, no yes. thanks on the floral. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Nobody is saying that it's your fault that you don't have fluoro, but the issue to me is if you don't have some instrumental, know your limitations, and maybe we should be more careful about the kinds of recommendations that we make given our limitations. But I think they can get us in trouble. Um, and so the reason we were saying we call this segment Everybody's Doing It is because I kind of feel like on the, if we go to the continuum of the person who has nothing but clinical, okay, no instrumental at all, they probably feel like, you know, everybody's doing it, but I don't want to do it. Or the teenager's like, well, everybody's doing it. I feel like I should be doing it, mm -hmm. you know? And it's, it's, it's a problem because there's all this pressure probably on folks who don't have any instrumental evaluation. So they do one of two things. Everybody's doing it, but that's not me. I don't, I don't have to do it. I can't do it. So you start to justify what you're doing because no one wants to think that they would be hurting a patient by trying to help them. Of course. Nobody wants that. And I, I don't think anyone's out there like, I cannot wait to jack that dude up and his <laughs> stupid epiglottis. Like, no one's doing that. No one's like, I could help him, but I'm going to, like, drown him. Yeah. What people are doing is they want to do the very best for their patients. But by admitting our limitations, we're actually keeping them safer absolutely. than by saying, yeah, you know, I can tell what's happening and happening down there. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, and I liked the point that Steve Leader made at the 2015 ASHA talk where he said, we cannot fabricate evidence where there is none. I, I agree with him, but the question of fabrication is not real to individuals who feel like they can tell what's happening down there. Right. That's a separate issue. The other thing is, okay, can you, what is the thing that you always say to me, shots fired, I forget what it is, when I go too far? So maybe I'm going too far. But with regard to fabrication, what makes clinicians feel like they're so much better that they can somehow figure out pharyngeal stripping wave by mm -hmm. staring, palpating, and listening? I mean, does everybody else just want to stick tubes in people's nose? Just, okay, wait, shots fired? Shots shot fired? Fire. Okay. Can we just... <laughs> Can we just dispel a couple of myths? Okay. I mean, we're on this topic. Yep, let's talk about what can you not tell and what can you yes, tell let's do it. at a bedside evaluation. Okay. okay. Can we both agree right now that you can absolutely tr uh, make good decisions about oral function? That you can? That you can. Absolutely. You can make good decisions about lingual function. You can make good decisions about mastication. If you have an infant, you can make great decisions about sucking, Absolutely. right? Expressing milk. I don't need a floor to know someone's drooling over me. No, I might need a floor to know what they're doing when their mouth is closed and no swallows happen yet. Mm -hmm. Like, were they pill rolling? Was it getting, you know, was it falling under their mm -hmm. tongue? Like, are they having problems containing the bolus? But at the end of the day, when they open their mouth up and the whole thing is still in their lateral sulcus, I think it didn't go down. <laughs> right. But you don't know how much of that bolus is... Slipped uh, back. Has um, premature spillage. Yeah. 
to the vollecula, to the airway, to the right instep bronchi. Right. But we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. Okay, so that's so we've said we do think that we can do oral function well. And you've just said what we don't know, which is what happens when it goes over the cliff. Yep. Right? So are you then saying that you can Not, I wouldn't say that as black and white. Oh, okay. So what <laughs> I are you know saying? where you're going. <laughs> what are you saying? I know where you're going. I do think that we, you know, are able to assess a patient's cough function mm-hmm. at the bedside. Yeah. Um, does the that presence and absence, but not the help. Well, no, I was going to say the presence and absence of cough, yes. Absolutely. But not necessarily whether it was productive. Correct. Okay. Or where, what they're coughing up is. Yeah. Maybe it's Are just they coughing because it's in the vollecula? Right. And they sense that? Are they, they coughing have, because they cough? Exactly. Habitual cough. Right. We don't know. But at least having a false positive that sends you to fluoro to confirm they're fine mm-hmm. is one thing. Of course, the bedside evaluation has its utility mm-hmm. and... We're trying to gather as much information as possible to make a decision about whether we feel our patient is safe or not safe, mm-hmm. whether they're aspirating or whether they're not. It's and a screener. It's a screener. At the end of the day, if it turns out to be an evaluation, that's great. If it turns out that you have no reason to believe that we need to do a fluoro, which is completely fine, mm-hmm. that's great. But if it turns out to be a screener for a deeper eval, that's fine too. The problem is when you know you have no deeper eval, you know it really is only a screener. You know there's stuff to do, mm-hmm. but you're like, crap, I have nothing else. I th- This is the best I have. This yeah. is the deepest I can go. Well, and, and the, the point that I find really interesting is when you get to the point in your evaluation at the bedside and you've decided something is up with this patient. I want to send them to fluoro because I want to see what's going on in their pharynx. Mm -hmm. Do you stop and say, well, I've made a decision that we want to go to fluoro. Oh yeah. Or is this the opportunity to keep going and to probe the patient to say, I want to get a little bit more information about what I think I'm going to see in fluoro Mm -hmm. to test strategies, to do sensory testing, to, um, you know, formulate this plan that we had talked about earlier mm-hmm. in going down the floor because to me, we get, we all talk about, oh my gosh, we're in floor, we only get four seconds and... Oh wait, you're, wait you are now beating up on the people who have instrumental and I want to beat up on them a little bit later. Do you mind? Oh, no. And the reason I want to wait is because... <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. I, I won't beat up on anybody. I just... What's my problem? You just got some bones. To I just pick. I got a few bones to pick. <laughs> I got I got a few bones to pick. But um, what I was going to say is I want to put another check in the box of the clinical examination. Okay. It's not just that it's for oral. Then something goes down the cliff, and you're like, crap, need fluoro, right? That's, That's not. What I'm I don't feel that way. There's something else that is so good, so good about clinical examinations that we often overlook. One is you can get so much closer to a real eating situation. Try to check them out in a real eating situation where they're with their friends or family or other folks, other inpatients, just eating at a table. And can they manage talking, laughing, voicing, and eating? Can they put all those things together? That's great. You can't do that in floral. The other thing is sensory. It's the other half of the game. Trying to test sensory in floral is kind of a waste of time. The only way we really do it 
is by testing whether or not they coughed in response to a bolus. And half the time we're so busy saying, cough, cough, that we don't even know whether <laughs> they would have done it without our command. Or we're only looking for a cough. I know I'm beating up on them and I told you to wait. Okay, let me stop. No, no, no. Well, it, it comes back to something I think about all the time is, um, and I think about this with my graduate students that I've had, mm-hmm. is when you go into a bedside evaluation, is your patient guilty until mm-hmm. proven innocent ooh, I love or this. innocent I'm until so proven guilty. I right? love it. They are, ooh, 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 this is so <laughs> exciting. This is so exciting. Let me tell you why. Because it differentiates, in my mind, your risk-averse people yes, and your cowboys. <laughs> Can I call them mavericks? Mavericks? <laughs> oh, okay, God. I won't get political, I promise. Okay. But um, if you're a cowboy, then they are what? Innocent until proven guilty. guilty. And the reason they're innocent until they're proven guilty is because you want to go in there and see how far you can push them, right? You want them to show you what they can do, okay? If they're guilty before they're proven innocent, then you assume they're at risk. And everything you do is to make sure that they don't end up in a situation where that they can't manage. They've aspirated, oh no. Yep. And your whole goal is to compensate... Mm-hmm. As opposed to the cowboy, who's their whole goal is to figure out what can they do, what can't they do, how far can I push them, what are their limits? Ah, it goes back to the ASHA talk. Your goal is not to limit the swallow. That's what you do mm-hmm. when they are guilty until proven innocent. Yep. Your goal is to figure out the limits of the swallow, yep. right? And your population is going to really differentiate that. Of Obviously, course. in a, a very critical population, critically ill population, we really want to take the more of the, um, we don't want to be a cowboy, right? Right. There's certain levels of rogue. Exactly. Yeah. It's like rogue on four, not on 10. I think our legal system is set up in a certain way for a reason. We're innocent until proven guilty. And one of the things I challenge my students to do is defend your recommendation like it's a court case. No, I love it. So you can't look at a patient and be like, well, they coughed. Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to say... Okay. And what? And, and what is the what standard else? in your in your evidence? Clinical? Right. What is your second piece of evidence? Yeah. Well, it, they coughed. So yeah. so what? But one person can take that cough and go in a completely direction, different direction than another clinician, and it's okay. Both are justified as mm-hmm. long as there's a physiologic rationale. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. What does the cough mean? The cough is is. The cough is that irrepressible thing that happened in response to something. Right. Or maybe it's a volitional cough, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they've been trained to cough and they keep coughing. Yep. We don't know what it means mm-hmm. until we probe deeper. Right. Absolutely. Well, I think being able, you know, at the end of the day, when you take a patient down to fluoro, it's justifying your recommendation. Yep. You know, and why do you want more information? Because to me, it's not enough to say, well, I just want to see. I think we should just see. Let's just double check. Right. Because that's, because that's another way either. of being risk averse, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know what? And it's the same thing, though, when you get down to fluoro and you see a patient on that very first swallow and they aspirate and you are just, they, they're done. You, are, you have made up your mind. They're already guilty. You don't give them the opportunity to prove themselves. Right. And to try different things. So... Now let's move to the other end of the continuum. Okay. Because I have a bone to pick on the other end, too. I, I agree. I don't know why I'm such a bone picker, but here goes. I cannot stand it when I read a report that tells me that you won the lottery and you just dumped the money over Niagara Falls. 
Okay, and what I mean by that, I know my analogies is are Is this where we pause the podcast and say, instead of for um, young viewers, um, use discretion. This is, for those who do, don't like controversy, we, we recommend that you probably pause the podcast. This is not a safe place for you. <laughs> if you're controversy-averse, then don't. So here's the thing. I do not like it when somebody has access to a tool that is so critical and sometimes hard to find and the report says patient aspirated after swallow on nectars that is what you came out with it's all like you mean to tell me you walked I don't know what's up with the helicopter you know, it's the, like the acute care clinician <laughs> listeners right now are like mm, that's going to the trauma bed I'm gonna have a patient tomorrow that's supposed to be I Huh? That's the helicopter for the hospital. Oh, I was like, they're going to say that from the... Every time, no. to me, even okay. now, when I hear a helicopter, I'm thinking, where is this patient being transferred from? Okay, thanks the for the flight. tangent. Thanks for the tangent. You're welcome. That's like telling me that you basically went, you had access to Whole Foods, like the land of healthy food, and you came out with like some old raggedy limp piece of kale. I'm like, why did you bring me that kale? Why didn't you get anything, all the stuff they have in there, you came out with that? It's Whole Foods for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. People get fired for, for selling limp kale in Whole yeah. Foods. Well, people. And then there's somebody else who's like in the inner city who has <laughs> who has like just 7-Eleven. <laughs> And they're making it work. Like, that got a can of fresh kale. You know what I'm saying? You went to Whole Foods and you came out with that same kale as a person in the inner city? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to say is that A lot of people you, spend a lot of money to go to these gyms where they get measurements on body fat percentage. Yeah. And, you know, they go through this whole rigmarole to do that. And they, all they, and all they really do is, like... specific information. Yeah. But if I did that, spent that money, and my trainer came back to me and said, you fat. I'm going to be pissed, right? Okay, so here's my other analogy for people who have access to instrumental and they don't use it to the best of their ability. So what happens if you are a woman who goes to a doctor and you're like, okay, I definitely know I need to lose some weight, blah, blah, blah. The doctor does every possible workup. They test your blood. They do BMI. They do. They test your inches all the way up to your earlobes. And like, mm-hmm. this is how big you are. They have every, every objective, A1C, they did it all. And then the doctor's report is that your goal for as a patient is to go from a size 14 in Lane Bryant to a size 10 in the gap. And you're like, wait, what? Wait. Hold up, hold up, right? Because you're like, wait a minute, I, you did, you had all that objective information, and your goal is to, excuse me, tolerate X liquids. But wait, is there any physiology behind it? Tolerated how? Like, is it like tolerate like Seinfeld hates tolerate? Like where he goes, lactose intolerant is? Do you hate it? Is that kind of thing? What does tolerate even mean? Right. But I would even take it a step further and say it's not enough to say that the goal is for the patient not to aspirate thin liquids because I think we need to be focusing on what is going to cause that to happen. Yeah, if if your goal is to not aspirate, it's like the goal is to not get wet when you go out in the rain. Well, there is a solution for that. (laughs) You just have to figure out if you can get your hand on an umbrella, Mm -hmm. if you can stay in the car. Like There are ways to not do it. So we're just trying to figure out if somebody, these reports stay with these patients for the rest of their life. Sometimes it's their death sentence when it comes to food they'll ever eat in their life. If they're, if they adhere, 
Some people are like, I don't give a rat's ass. I mean, I'm drinking beer. And I'm like, go for it. You know what I'm saying? I can't yeah. force you when you go home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But some people, they adhere to this. Or they're in an inpatient situation where they can't get a hold of some other thing they want to eat. Mm-hmm. And this might be the only opportunity that they have yeah. to get a true objective eval. And if they have not trained, changed drastically since that first eval... It's still wrong. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. They can't have thin liquids. They're dehydrated. And that's because somebody said, aspirated on thins, tried nectars, it worked. No thins. Done. <laughs> no, it's like, that's, that's even it. funny because that's... That's it. That's it. That's that's some people's life. You know, everybody out there listening has read those reports. Maybe you've written those reports. Or maybe you, you know? check those boxes because sometimes there's no writing involved. There's no, just box true. checking. It's true. And... You know, I think the point here isn't to point fingers and, you know, come down on anybody or anything, but I think we can do better. And I think that's the whole point here is that let's, as professionals, we all have master's degrees, we all practice, we have a license, we can do better. And See, this is why I love Alicia, because she was being, brings me back to equilibrium. Like, when I, <laughs> when I nearly go off the cliff of being upset about things that I don't understand, she's like come back to us mm-hmm. and use your brain. And, and no, it's true. It's like, this is the reality, but it just bothers me because there's, there are, you know, there are things that the patient needs. And sometimes we may not understand the how the, you know, how fortunate we are that this is the mm-hmm. first world problem that we're having, that we have floral, but not enough time to look at the video. Yeah. You know, that's a first, that we, this is the best, our gold standard that we have. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're not doing it might be because of time, but it also might be because of knowledge. Like maybe that's with all the time you have, you might still come up with that. Yeah. But it's still, in my view, behooves us to try to get as much information and say, if this was my dad or my mom, would this be enough? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that it, we need to be okay with it, admitting what we don't know right? and know what to do to move forward. And I think about, you know, obviously I'll reflect a lot of my own personal experiences and I'll be brutally honest and saying, you know, when I, especially when I first started practicing, thinking back on some of the recommendations I made and some of the reports I've written, it's, I'm embarrassed mm-hmm. because there were things I did not know and I was seeing patients. Well, I'm not any better. No. I mean, when None of us are. No, nobody's better. Mm-hmm. And the reason nobody can sit here and say, my first report is as, okay, let me just say this. If you're saying your reports then are as good as they are now, then that's not a good thing. No, <laughs> not at all. It's not like aging where, like, you were better when you were younger. Of course. It's not gymnastics, folks. Like, if your best reports were your earliest ones, that's a surprise. Yeah. And that's because people aren't being trained because mm-hmm. the status, unfortunately, right now is maybe you'll get a dysphagia class. Right. Maybe. If you're if you're young enough, maybe that dysphagia class will be taught by somebody who does more than what we just described, which is right. You're the only person in town at the local hospital doing dysphagia, and so you're teaching the class, but it's like, well, crap. I'm just figuring out two. I'm two years out, right? Yeah, exactly. But I think it's, you know, it's okay to... You know, even though we have this license, right, and we're supposed to know everything about swallowing, to know we can be better. Right. And to know what steps to take and to reach out to people and to learn and to take good courses and and be better at what we're doing. We hope, I mean, really our hope in doing this podcast is that maybe somebody's listening and saying, gosh, maybe my notes aren't being written in the way that I could best write them to describe physiology 
they make a note of it and then they go out into the world and make a note of that note being not notable yeah, well no saying that I need to get better at describing physiology what can <laughs> I do about that and in the process of doing that it's also it's not it's describing physiology and a rationale for your decisions mm-hmm. right yeah um, that's harder that's like a, a step up in terms of um, understanding I understand what happened I can describe that I know why they aspirated but when I chose that next bolus what was my rationale for it what was I probing mm-hmm. what was good what was what was not good what happens if they're normal on it what do I do next what's my clinical decision tree here right and it's like you said bringing it back to clinical examination your clinical decision tree is not just what you're going to do at the bedside it's how you're going to take that information and take it into floro because you're almost more, you're held to a higher standard to whom much is given, much is required, right? Mm -hmm. So if you had access to the medical records, you did a clinical evaluation, and you did an instrumental evaluation, and you came out with patient can't swallow and thin in nectars, you know, what was the point? Whereas I expect more from you Mm -hmm. because you have the ability to look more deeply into a situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's important that if you feel like you're in a situation where you're just feeling like the notes that you're writing are the same and you're just kind of going through the motions and in a rut, I think that this area is a good area and a good opportunity to really challenge yourself as a clinician. And there's a lot of room for growth Mm -hmm. in describing physiology and being able to make those connections with physiologic rationales. I think that's something I'm continuously working on and getting better at and yeah. And in the field of swallowing in terms of research, the same thing is true where I feel like some things that I've written are just seem so elementary. It's just kinda like, well, why did I write that passage about everybody knows X, Y, Z, when really I can look back to some of my earlier papers and be like, yeah, we don't really know that. I'm starting mm-hmm. to question things that we thought we knew. Right. So it's not just in clinical, it's also in research. And the answer to this is that swallowing is really complicated. Mm-hmm. And that means in the clinical world, in the research world, in whatever combination of the two, there are things that we used to think that we don't think anymore because we've asked ourselves for more evidence. Mm -hmm. And in the process of asking yourself for more evidence, be it you at the bedside or be it me, you know, in my lab, the the process is to refine ourselves, to really hold ourselves to the fire and say, hey, do we really know this, that, or the other? You know, if somebody says, well, for instance, the hyoid anterior movement causes you contributes to UAS opening. Well, can we all go find the paper that shows that, Mm -hmm. for instance? Um, There are a lot of things that sometimes are just said that maybe we're not very clear on in research. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we talk about the separation between clinic and and research, or maybe it's pegged that way. And one of the things that I find really unique about venturing, <clears throat> I'm in my second semester of my PhD in my first year, and what I like about being here and being able to talk about swallowing and approach these questions um, from a different end is that being here has changed the way my brain thinks about things. 
and I approach questions and problems in a very different way. And that does not stay isolated to research. That is directly taken into clinic. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so great about us clinicians and why we practice swallowing is that it is complex. Yeah, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. And I think a lot of us went into this field knowing that it would be an area where we'd never get stagnant. That's for sure. Or should never get stagnant. Or should. And I, it's too complicated to stick. Absolutely. In one spot. Yeah. And I think, you know, if there if there are people out there that are feeling that way, go to the literature. Yeah. It will really make you think about your patients and you know, think about the things we know and what we don't know to be able to really think critically about what we're looking at right. and how we're ap- approaching these problems and these conundrums that we have with our patients. Remember we said we'd have a part where we just brought up something that we don't like. Yes. At the end, what did we say we were going to call that? Keep it down the hatch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's keep that down the hatch. <laughs> For now, that's what we're going to call it. All right. So there are some things that we think need to be thrown down the hatch permanently, never yes. to be regurgitated. Okay. Exactly. Alicia, tell me this. Mm-hmm. You ready? I really failed at this last time. I, I remember know. that. Should I wear cowboy boots or heels? Well, where are you going? Any more information? You do. But why can't you just give me advice without the information? Because I don't want you to look a fool. Oh, you're a good friend. I know. So basically what I'm saying is, (laughs) if someone says, I have a patient who cannot swallow this, but can swallow that, and then 50 people pile on with exact protocol for what treatment should be done, what exactly does that mean? I have a patient that has thin liquids and has Parkinson's disease. Anybody have any suggestions? For what? Well, have you tried a chin tuck? Have what? you tried a nipperful swallow? It drives me bonkers. It's to me, it's, 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 <laughs> cow, it's, it's cowboy boots versus heels. I need more information. Should you wear and when? To, to, to what? Like what? I don't know. How big are your feet? Well, it's like a PT. Do you have I have patient that falls. Anybody have any recommendations on what we should do? Exactly. And somebody's saying wheelchair, crutches. I know. Um, <laughs> they need a, what, uh, what do they call those? Lifts. Hoyer lift. Um, bedridden. They need a stretcher. Wait, bedridden. <laughs> yeah. Just, or just let them fall. I, know. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> what's their problem? I know. It's like, well, why can't Holy. they walk? In any field, <laughs> in any domain, mm-hmm. you should be asking that question. You know, if, if you're if you're a cook and someone says, "So, should I have, uh, you know, McDonald's or should I have a salad?" You'd be like, "I mean, I feel like you should have a salad, but maybe there's more to it." Yeah. You know, maybe there's more some something else I should be asking. I don't maybe know. This is the last time you get maybe to eat this again. Is your last you should meal. definitely not eat a salad. Maybe, maybe you're about to get executed. Is what we're saying, <laughs> and your last meal request. It's McDonald's, and that's okay, but I would need to know that before I say, go out on an empty stomach, i.e. salad. Yes. So I'm glad we got that cleared up. What we're saying is ask for information. If you assume that you can give information on something as complicated as swallowing based on simply couldn't swallow this, can swallow that, has this diagnosis, then maybe we're all approaching this from far too simplified a way. Mm Agreed. Down the hatch. Down the hatch. <laughs>